morning. Uh, today's scripture is taken from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he has opened for us through the curtain, <laughs> that is, through his flesh, and since we have great priests over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for reading God's word for us this morning. And let me wish you, church, Happy New Year. I want to welcome a few of our guests who are with us here this morning. First, um, we have a whole crew, crew of seminary people Dr. Fong Chun Sam, a dear friend of mine, has brought some friends from America, uh, guys who are in the PhD program and who are, of course, here to critique the message. And, and also, Dr. John Massey. John, hold your hand up. John is a former colleague of ours in the International Mission Board. And by the way, John, many years ago, was the one who recommended that Sherry and I first attend Grace Baptist Church, just so you know who to blame. Uh, we're delighted to have our family with us, our, our youngest son, Brennan, and his wife, Michael Ann, who are pastoring in Vancouver. And Michael Ann's parents are here, Steve and Patty Ellis. They used to, to be my boss. So, yeah, there's lots of reason for me to be nervous this morning. If, if you do have a copy of God's Word with you, I, I want to invite you to stay in that passage that Stephanie read for us this morning. I... I do have a, a keynote. I don't know if the, the crew can help me. I've been slow to get ready today. Um, while they're looking for that, let me just give a brief introduction. As I think most of you know who are part of GBC, we are beginning a new series that will last us all year long. We call it Grace Together. And we're talking about not just grace, the church, being all together on Sunday morning. We're talking about how to live together with grace. The grace that we, with which we have been gifted by the God who is merciful. Uh, we are going to be realizing as we walk through the book of Romans that there are some gospel truths that are common realities for every believer. But it's not just enough to know the content of the gospel. We want us to live in such a way. By the way, we do have a couple of lights flashing. Anybody about to have a stroke because of that? We, we can maybe shut them, shut them off. It, it costs a lot to bring in a crane to, to change those. So, you know, being pragmatic, we're just gonna wait until they're all flashing. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Oliver's telling me to get on with it. You know, we, we hope to be a people who, I, I mean, I, trust me, I, I know that Singaporeans are biblically literate. W what I fear is that we are so content-driven 
I've never needed so much help before, but I appreciate it. Screen mirroring, just so you know what's happening. I'll do the color commentary. My music is about to come up, so please. So, every once in a while when we have a wedding and this pulpit gets moved, actually the problem is under there. So, you won't benefit from the images maybe today because it, I think it's not connected underneath the pulpit. It's, it's okay. My mom, if she was alive, would be so pleased by this because she would always say, stop using technology, just preach the word. <laughs> You're welcome, mom. <laughs> uh, we, we want our lives all this year to be so deeply planted in these gospel truths that they seep deep into our hearts and leak out in our behaviors. Because you know the reputation of Christians in Singapore is we know stuff, but we're hypocrites because we don't live like we know stuff. We, we want these gospel truths to be proven by the way we live with each other. And we're going to begin this series with a brief look at a passage in the book of Hebrews. And, and as we look at this book, we're going to realize that, that we have been established not just to be a community of faith, but to be a covenant community of faith, that covenants together to live life according to these gospel truths. So because the passage that Stephanie read for us begins with that word, therefore, there is something that has gone before this passage that we need to know about. And it, if you were looking at the screen right now and could see what's not there, you would be looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 through 18. This is actually a good exercise for us. So if you have your phones or your Bibles, if not, you have to take my word for it as I read. This is what the writer of Hebrews has said. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. He's actually quoting now from Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds this, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, forgiveness of what? Our sins and our lawless deeds. There is no longer any offering for sin. 600 years before Christ walked on the earth, this prophet Jeremiah had the confidence to predict a day when blood offerings would no longer be required. Now, personally, I am fascinated by the connection between confidence and, and culture. I, I think confidence often in our world is incubated in our culture. Uh, for instance, I, I believe that Americans set the bar for confidence, and, and, and we have some Americans right here. They will tell you. I could go up to John Massey and say, John, I'm so sorry you broke your leg. How are you doing? Great! Americans are always great. Uh, they, they just have this robust culture that affirms optimism. That's why American Idol is so awesome. It's not because somebody is going to be the American idol. It's because everybody believes they are America's idol. And, and, and when Simon Cowell, that British curmudgeon, 
declares them to have no talent whatsoever, they are profoundly shocked. <laughs> I know I sing this awesome, I've had no music lessons. That's a culture that has incubated this optimism. You can be anything you want to be, but Canada, we share the longest undefended border in the world with the most confident neighbor in the global neighborhood, which makes us chronically insecure. It, it means we make statements as if they were questions, searching for constant affirmation. American athletes go for the gold. Canadian athletes go for the participation t-shirt. In fact, you know Americans give their war heroes medals. My dad fought in World War II for Canada. In Europe, he got two medals. One for signing up, and one for surviving. You fight differently when the goal is survival. All our military, they get the, you know, survival participation t-shirts, the medals. That's our culture. And, 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 and my thinking is, okay, Singaporeans, now you can't relax, laughing at other people. My sense about Singaporeans is, is we are a bit conflicted, right? We're, we're a little bit conflicted because we know Singapore is producing the sharpest students on the planet in every category. We know that we are the most technologically advanced, best well-planned-out nation on earth, and yet we have a culture that requires us to be humble, conflicted. In fact, Joel, where are you, brother? Shocked me today. I asked him, how are you doing? He said, excellent. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> Don't you feel an obligation to be humble? Not bad. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Right? We, we look at confidence in Singapore and, and we have a cultural obligation to really be suspicious of it. Why so proud, huh? Well, how to be so proud? The result is many of us could use some help with confidence. And so I opened up the book in my library called Google. And there is Forbes magazine with the perfect article just for us, for this message this morning. And I wish you could see the picture, because the picture is clearly of a Singaporean girl with her portfolio looking sideways, I assume, at her Canadian colleague. Her face, to me, because I'm Canadian, looks as if she's saying, hey, that guy, why so Kaiwa? because our culture informs how we interpret even images. Forbes magazine has written an article for all of those Canadians and Singaporeans who lack confidence, suggesting several things. I'm not gonna give them all to you because after I give them to you, I'm gonna say don't pay attention to them. Number one, get things done, which is good if you're the kind of person who gets things done. I'm a multitasker. Which means I do many things poorly and, and seldom get things done. I lack confidence. 
Check your progress. Still not finished. Lack confidence. Three, do the right thing. Means have your own moral code. Doesn't have to be the right moral code. Just what is right for you. Four, exercise. We're already done, aren't we, Ollie? If exercise is a requirement. Number five, be fearless, which is awesome for fearless people. But if you're insecure, if you suffer with anxiety, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you worry but you don't know about what, stand up for yourself. Don't care what others think. Do more about what makes you happy. All of these things, according to Forbes magazine, will build confidence in you if you're already confident. But let's listen to what God says about confidence. And, and some of you Singaporeans, you know, I just want to say, I'm your pastor, I love you. But you might need this word. Be, because kiasu does not mean happy I'm winning. It means afraid of losing. This constant anxiety that built this nation needs to be hearing a word from God. The first point, you always know when Pastor Ian is preaching because there's no outline in the ministry guide. The first point is we have confidence. In verses 19 through 21, we have confidence. This is what God says, therefore brothers, since we have confidence, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, stop there, two things to notice about this verse. First of all, notice confidence is assumed. It is a defining mark of followers of Christ. Insecurity is not a defining mark of followers of Christ. It may be a defining mark of Canadians, but not of Christians. Confidence is assumed. Secondly, notice that confidence doesn't come from the right thing I have done. It doesn't result from the fact that I have got things done, have checked my progress, am exercising, am doing what pleases me, confidence comes from the righteous thing that Christ has done. So, if everything was working, you'd be looking right now at an image of the crucified Christ. Because this is the image that the writer of Hebrews is referring to. Because as Christ was crucified, he was actually replicating the work of his earthly uncle Zechariah. Do you remember that story, the prophet Zechariah, whose son became John the baptizer, who on the day of atonement was fearfully taking his turn in the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. He had slaughtered a, a perfect lamb, sprinkled the blood on the altar, and as the, the smoldering smoke went up, he would plead, God, have mercy on your people. Remember mercy. Forgive your people. This is what Jesus was doing as his blood flowed down. He cried out, Father, 
forgive them. Forgive this people at that very moment. Precious son, crucified Christ, great high priest was mediating forgiveness on that cross. Father, forgive them. That act didn't just forgive us of sins, didn't just cleanse us, it changed our status. We were no longer aliens and strangers. We became sons and daughters. Now, I'll, I'll just be honest with you that I, I, you know, I'm 61. I come from a generation that actually had two sets of clothes. I had everyday clothes, meaning I could wear anything I wanted as long as they were clean. And then I had church clothes, which means I could wear everything I wanted as long as they were clean and a three-piece suit. I got my first three-piece suit when I was seven because that's the kind of clothes you wear when you go to meet the king of creation. And, and I remember my mom saying, just like maybe some of your mom said, if you're going to meet the queen of England today, you wouldn't go dress like that, would you? That's the right cultural question. And the right answer is, no, mom, I wouldn't. But the right theological answer is, no, mom, I wouldn't unless my name was Charles. And then I would meet my mom in my PJs and maybe my slippers. You, you, you see, that act of Christ, the great high priest, changed our status. Jesus didn't cry out like Zechariah, God, forgive them. He cried out, Father, forgive them. I'm wearing this tie not because I'm afraid of God. He's my Father. I'm afraid of you. I'm wearing a tie. We can come as we are because Christ has paid the price to make us sons and daughters. But then secondly, not only do we have confidence, but we have cleansing. In verse 22, it reads, let us draw near with a true heart, meaning a transparent heart, in full assurance with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, now, just to be sure you understand, sprinkled is not referencing baptism. It's referencing, representing the act of the great high priest sprinkling his own perfect blood on the altar. That is the act that has washed us clean. If, if you lack confidence, perhaps you have not remembered that you have been washed clean. We have assurance not because of our act. It's because of his actions on the cross of Calvary. No, now I'm really sorry you can't see the picture. Because I've been doing some research for this message, and it's amazing what the human mind can produce. 
I mean, just this year, scientists figured out how to edit human genes. Now, just try and wrap your mind around that. If this was possible several years ago, the pastor search committee might have worked on that before I showed up. But I just happen to have the genes God gave me. Scientists have figured out how to edit human genes. We figured out how to regenerate human tissue. In fact, this year, scientists grew a lamb in a bag outside of a womb without ever having been in a sheep's womb. Scientists have grown a lamb in a bag. I mean, can you imagine? But here's the thing. We can regenerate human tissue. We can grow a lamb in the bag. We can send men to the dark side of the moon, but none of us can figure out what to do with guilt. What what do we do with human guilt? This was the whole reason William Shakespeare wrote the story of Macbeth. I mean, I don't know if children study Shakespeare anymore, but, but, but this story is fascinating to me because, you know, in, in Shakespeare's play, Macbeth, the lady of the house was a lady accustomed to privilege, but, but she had ambition. She, though she lived the comfort of life of a noble woman, she wanted to be more, so she badgered her husband into killing gentle King Duncan. And then he became king and Lady Macbeth became queen and she, and she was so delighted in this act of slaughter that she washed her hands in gentle King Duncan's blood. And, and then the act began to eat away at her soul and grew like a cancer in her and it, it literally drove her mad. And the lady-in-waiting called the doctor in the play, right? Called the doctor. And as the doctor arrives, Lady Macbeth is walking through the castle as if she's washing her hands. And then she stops and begins to grab at her chest and shouts, Out, cursed spot! Out! Hell is murky. We don't know what to do with guilt. But we who are children of the Most High King, have this gospel truth. He, by his blood, has washed us clean. He's cast our guilt as far as the east is from the west. If you keep going west, when do you ever hit east? Never. I I don't know how you came into this building. This is a holy place, the sanctuary of God. Did you come in with confidence because you have cleansing? This is a gospel point. In secular world, we can't do anything with guilt. We can point it out, we can punish it, but we cannot purge it. This is what John spoke about in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. He says, by this we know that we are of the truth. We know we are believers and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. He declares us innocent. 
innocent. And we have assurance in verse 23. It says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Did you notice that? No, Fortune magazine, no. Not hold fast to the things that I have done. Not hold fast to my progress. Not hold fast to my fearlessness. But hold fast to the hope in Christ. Only Christ. Friend, you don't need to stand up for yourself because he was hung up for you. His crucifixion declares you guiltless. Hold fast to that gospel truth. Christ is our hope. Christ alone. It's not even your faith that gives assurance. It is His faithfulness. In fact, our faith is a product of His faithfulness. You think you're here by accident? You think you found Him? He's been pursuing you before you were out of your mother's womb. You're here on his purpose and he declares he will stand up for you it is his faithfulness that inspired the words of Louisa Stead I don't know if you've heard of this woman she actually died in the year 1907 or sorry 1917 some of the older ones would remember the product of the heart of this dear American woman who watched her husband drown while trying to save a child in the river. She watched all of her security go under the waters. Then weeping, she took her child home and wrote these words. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest on his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Hold fast to him. And then finally, uh, not only do we have confidence and cleansing and assurance, we have expectations that come as a result of being called to live together in a covenant community that we call Grace Baptist Church. And actually, we've already mentioned several of them. But here's the verses I want us to give special attention. The first expectation, draw near to God. Fellowship does not happen after the service because we have coffee and snacks. If all we have is coffee and snacks and people, all we have is a reminder that people are the problem. We get close to people we don't know well. Sooner or later, we find one person we don't love. 
So sometimes that kind of fellowship can only create conflict. But let us draw near to God as we are all of us focusing on drawing near to God. Do you understand that this is new covenant stuff? Draw near to God. Don't hide from God as our father Adam did in the garden. Don't walk fearfully into the sanctuary as Uncle Zechariah did with a bell attached to your waist should you be struck dead by the holiness of God. Walk confidently into His presence. Draw near to Him. He desires to draw near to us. This is the common activity of a covenantal people of God. This is a gospel truth. We draw near together. And as we draw near to Him, we realize there are people next to us with the same ambition, with the same passion, not to get to know Pastor Ian better, but to get to know Jesus more deeply. Let His culture seep into our hearts, leak out of our behaviors, draw near to God. That's verse 22. The second one we've already spoken of, verse 23, let us hold fast to the work of Christ. Trust in Jesus, that is all. But now the hardest thing, because culturally, for me, it is difficult. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, now here's a bit of comfort. The gospel writer is informed by the Holy Spirit. He knows that this is not going to come natural to a lot of people. He's saying you have to, it's not going to be intuitive. Culturally, it's, it, you're not going to be informed to do this. You have to consider how to do this. You see, when we consider how to plan long term, that's culturally appropriate. Because this is a planning nation. When I consider, you know, dress up so people think well of you, that's culturally appropriate because Canadians are insecure. But when I get asked to consider something that's outside of my culture, that takes work for me. How can you stir up people? Now, 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 this is not the word encouragement. In fact, this is a very graphic word in Greek. It's a very forceful stirring up. It is the same word that is used to describe the argument that Paul had with Barnabas. They were stirring one another up. But what are we to stir people up with? Love and good works. That's our daily consideration. How can I stir up my brother Ollie, who I love deeply, to love and good works. How how can I stir carry up toward love and good works? No, I'm I'm not afraid to admit that last week in Malaysia I gained one and a half kilos because Nasi Kandar, which is kind of hard to find here. You you, you know, if you go to an Indian restaurant here, they, they give you your prata, then they give you this little bowl, shallow bowl, can I say, of curry gravy, just gravy. But when I was in Malacca, our friends took me to my favorite breakfast restaurant, Nila's, which is right next to our old church. And they don't give you a little shallow tray of gravy. They give you two canisters. I had a photo to show you because nobody 
dips into that canister saying, I hope I don't get any good stuff. We stir that canister. We stir that bad boy up. And I pull it out to get all the brinjal I can get. I will eat veggies as long as it's soaked in curry. Right? So, and I pour that all over. You see, we stir up to get good stuff. Uh, unless we stir up in culturally informed ways. I, I'll be honest with you. My, my culture encourages me to stir up looking for bad stuff. I'm pretty sure that nobody goes to Neelai, stirs that canister thinking, I hope I can find some roaches in here. Then why do we look for roaches in the service of other people? Why do we sit hoping to find something to critique? We're conflicted. We've got one foot in our culture and one foot in the kingdom that's why the writer of Hebrews reminds us, stir one another up to love and good works. Second, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Um, the pastors weekly pray through our church directory and weekly that means I find names and I have no idea who they are. They're not with us anymore. Do, do you see how meeting together and encouraging one another is linked? You think you have to be an awesome gospeler in order to be encouraging? No, presence is encouragement. This was written to a church that lived in a hostile day. It was written to a persecuted people. Presence was encouraging. Stir one another up to love and good works. Don't abandon meeting together because we cannot be who God has called us to be as independent orphans living with Tim Keller downloads. He's called us to be and to do gospel community and all the more so as you see the day drawing near. That day is not tomorrow, is not Tuesday. It is the day. The day that God has assigned the actual date of which none of us know. That judgment day spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Each one's work will be manifest, will be made known, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the sort of work we have stirred up. Uh, day before yesterday, I was um, going home on McPherson, and there was a traffic accident that really troubled me because I love motorcycles. There was a motorcycle that somehow ended up right under the back of a lorry. And I, I couldn't see the person. There was a crowd gathering, and then my bus went by. I, I don't know how that person is. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but I do know this. That man or woman did not begin his day 
by thinking, I believe I'm going to plan to wreck my bike and my life. Drawing breath, even in the safest nation on the planet, is risky. Studies have been done to prove life is terminal. And most of us don't know when the day will come. The best we can do is to face every day with confidence that Christ has done his work as great high priest. He pleads for us now, assurance in his work that we have cleansing. The best we can do with one another is continually stir up one another to God's affection and to his work for his glory. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. This morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, I assume you know that pastors don't have inside scoop. We don't know how your life is right now. Unless you tell us, we don't know. So this message was meant for no one specifically, but I will tell you, I prepare this message for one person specifically, and that's Ian. Because I am a man birthed and raised by a broken culture. I am a man in need of gospel reminders from his word. If you're here, and you lack confidence, let us draw near to God. If you're here, and you lack a sense of cleansing, let us be reminded of Christ's work. Be reminded that even now, this great high priest pleads for you. If you lack assurance, let us trust in his faithfulness. Maybe you're like me and and your faithfulness has been spotty at best. Maybe you have daily events where you feel chronically insecure and angry and, and, and anxious. Maybe you're even an honest doubter. Bless you. Jesus receives honest doubters. Trust him for truth. For many of us, GBC, all this year, we need to daily wake up and consider this. Oh God, will you help me stir someone up? Not just for bad stuff. I'm awesome at that. Help me. Equip me to stir your people up toward godly affection 
and to good works that glorify the King of creation. You have designed us for this, your glory, our good. The Apostle Paul invited God's people in 1 Corinthians 11 to not approach the table carelessly, but to examine our hearts As our brothers come to help us serve the table, why, why don't you spend this moment doing what every one of the disciples did around that first Last Supper, trying to answer this question, is it I, this week God, did, did I grieve you? Did, did, did my thoughts betray you in any way? And if this feeling in your gut says yes, then respond with confidence. He stands ever ready to receive prodigals like Ian and you. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, the Lord says this, the blood shall be a sign for you. For when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and death will not plague you nor beset you. So if you are here today and you have confidence that your heart has been sprinkled by the blood of this Lamb, this great high priest, Jesus the Christ, then you take that bread confidently, remembering his death. You take that cup confidently, celebrating that he's not just died, he's risen again, and he's coming as king. If you're not a believer, perhaps even a seeker, don't feel like you need to take this bread or this cup. It adds no value to you. There's nothing magic that happens. We don't become Christians by taking this wafer. 